Doesn't the Bible say when to stop? No. It's our job as Christ's followers to take care of the least of these. That's been a part of our faith since the very, very beginning. And that's what we're going to look at today. I'm obviously wearing a Hawaiian shirt this morning. Somebody said I look like a California tourist. Another guy said I look like a Cuban drug lord. But anyway, you know, whatever. So uh, we thought it'd be kind of fun on this, what we call also Rick Warren Sunday, to take a look at a, come, sort of the history of, uh, it's not really Rick Warren Sunday, but uh, he, wears, he wears a Hawaiian shirt. So let's look at the history of Hawaiian shirts. Kind of interesting to look at it. You know, Elvis made it really popular in the 1950s. He looked good in his Hawaiian shirt. And then we had the biker trend in the like 70s or whatever, 80s. They did that kind of thing. And then we had sort of the nerd trend. I think that's what I'm into right here. The nerd trend. And then we had the fashion industry. They were trying to like not match in a really kind of crazy way way, and then the 80s, let's try to move on from the 80s very fast, and then there's just nuts, you know? So God bless you, Nick Nolte, if you're listening. <laughs> so, so last week, we took a look at, uh, as we're looking for the next four weeks, at the book of Proverbs, our message called The Words of Wisdom, and I really hope that you take this book this summer and just, just open it. I know the Bible can be intimidating at times to open up and see, feel this big Bible, but if there was ever an easy book to look at, it's Proverbs. Literally, they are one-sentence sermons. They're like haikus. And all you got to do is just sort of take that sentence and maybe write it on a card or just think about it for a second and you meditate on it and it really will give you some truth for your life. So last week we looked at how God wants us to have close friends, that we have to have friends that know who God is who are close friends, but we can only have one or two or three people in our lives, max, that are close friends. This was really liberating to some people in this church last week who told me, I always thought I had to have like 30 or 40 close friends and I'm like, no. Nah. Now that's dangerous. Just a couple of friends that you can, uh, that God puts into your life. And we talked about how Jesus is the closest friend we'll ever have. That you'll never actually have probably somebody die for you the way Jesus did. And you can drop him. Um, we can drop our other friends. They hit the floor and they, they're like metal. They may make a lot of noise. But, they, but Jesus will never break when we drop him as our friend. We can pick him right back up again. Okay, so I was raised in the West, in Boise, Idaho, and I was raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, and, and uh, Sacramento. So the things out East are like kind of this foreign land to me. So that's when I went, uh, I went to Staten Island when I was about 20 some odd years old, and, and I also visited the Statue of Liberty. And I don't know if you visited the Statue of Liberty, but it is this powerful monument that our country has right at the very gateway of our country. And I've never been one of these guys that actually has to, like, climb something in order to appreciate it. You know, if I see Shasta or Mount Rainier, I'm fine just sitting back in the car and saying, cool, that's a great mountain. But I know there are people who want to climb up uh, to appreciate things, and so a lot of people climbed up the Statue of Liberty. But I just sat there at the base of that statue, looking up at this grand, grand statue, and looking out at the ocean, and looking at our country, and I read the words that are written at the very bottom of that. And I just lift them up to you on this 4th of July weekend. Give me your tired and your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's been a major theme in our country, taking care of the least of these since the very, very beginning. And as you think about our moments of greatness as a country, we have done that the best. Our very founding, 1776, was really about taking care of the least of these. 
Many of the people who came to the United States were Puritans who had fled England for religious persecution. And we said, that's not okay. And so we took care. We allowed for a place for people to religiously worship as they felt called to do. We, we did that during the Civil War. Anybody here still around from that war? No. Somebody in the last service was. That's fine. Not really. But the Civil War, of course, was a, was a terrible war, and there were a lot of complexities, and we don't want to oversimplify that war. But in large part, it was about trying to help those who were enslaved, who were the least of these, and to receive freedom. And I know there are those in this room from World War II, and, and we thank those who have served there. And we know that the reason that we got into that war, in large part, was to take care of those who could not take care of themselves. That was Europe who was being beset upon by Germany. And so our best moments as a country have come when we have taken this endearment to our hearts. And it isn't like Thomas Jefferson who came up with this. I mean, they were great, those thinkers, but it was really thousands and thousands of years before. It was really Jesus who said, when you take care of the least of these, you are taking care of me. And it was Solomon, 500 years before Jesus, who we'll take a look at today, who told us about taking care of those who have needs. Let's take a look at our text this morning. We're going to look at our third proverb. It is Proverbs 31, 4 through 9. Let's listen for God's word. Now Solomon is giving another king advice. And so listen as he gives another king named Lemuel advice. He says this, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer. This is the only citation of beer I know of in the entire Bible. He says, Lest they drink and forget what the law decrees, and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Give beer to those who are perishing, and wine to those who are in anguish. Probably I should unpack that in case some of you are about to go get a case of Pabst Blue Ribbon for a homeless guy. Uh, He's really saying, wine and beer are luxuries. They are today as they were back then. And luxuries are not for those who have stuff. Luxuries are those who are oppressed, who are perishing, who are anguishing. And I don't know where you are today, but I bet most of you are not perishing. Most of you are not anguishing. Most of you are are not in a deep oppression, but it says, let them drink and forget their poverty. The luxuries of life are for them. Remember their misery no more and help them remember their misery no more. There are people in misery. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I love this. The notion is in Hebrew that actually there are people who cannot have words for what is on their heart. There are people, do you believe this? There are people who are so hungry, they actually can't speak. And so it's our job to help people who are so hungry, who can't speak to speak. There are people, there are women who are so abused, they are so afraid to open their mouths that they can't speak. It's our job who have words, who are not afraid to open our mouths, to open our mouths. There are people who actually have such little education, they don't know what a verb and a noun is. They can't even put those together. For those of us who know what verbs and nouns are, it's our job, our job to speak for them. And then he continues, speak for those who cannot speak for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak and judge them fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. It sounds like Thomas Jefferson, doesn't it? Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. But this is from the actual book of God. This is what God is telling us to do on this 4th of July. I've always been kind of fascinated how people are wired. And I guess how we can help people rewire themselves. That's what church is about in a large part. 
So I've always been fascinated, like, who has a heart for the compassionate and who doesn't? And I would just say, by the way, that I actually feel that this church is the most generous volunteering church I have ever witnessed. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I've always been fascinated. There are some soldiers who are on the battlefield who will see like a hurt child and they will just stop no matter what is going on in the war and help that child. And then there are some people who just kind of walk on and it's kind of like a basic wiring thing. I talked to a friend of mine named Jenna Nardella who is the executive director of Bloodwater International. Now, as you can see, she's 28 years old. She started this organization back when she was in college. She started by sleeping in the basement of Jars of Clay, you know, that Christian band. And she decided to, maybe you've heard of her on K-Love. She's raised a lot of money for people in Africa who have HIV needs and who need water. And I asked Jenna this last week, just called her and said, what is it that kind of wired you to do this? How did you get this basic why? Why do you do this? And she said, you know, it started when I was nine years old. And I was in San Francisco, and I, I'd never seen, like, homeless people before where I was raised. And so I actually saw this guy on the street who was homeless. He had no home and no food. And so then we went off to a restaurant, and we had this wonderful meal, and I felt so bad eating this hamburger. And so I said, Dad, can I just give this hamburger to this guy over here? And he said, yeah, sure, go ahead. So Jenna talks about going up to this guy and giving him the hamburger and how grateful he was. Jenna then says, you know what? All my life, I've been in search of that guy. I've been looking for that guy ever since. And I know I will never find him. But I am going to look to the ends of the earth to help people until I can find someone like him. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that. Because this is the most generous church I know. Let me just brag about this church a little bit. Let me brag about you. We have a half a million dollar budget, which is infinitesimal for a church of this size. So 500,000, 10% of that every year, a whole $50,000 goes to mission. We just cut a check for $50,000, goes to mission. Now, we could hire new staff, more programming, you know, better lights, better graphics, but that's what we do. On top of that, We give thousands of dollars. You have given thousands of dollars to the Samaritan Fund. And I will tell you that people continue to come in, people who have no connection to the church, and we help pretty much anyone who has need. On top of that, you remember the 10,000 cans campaign? Loved that. And I remember remember the two-ton campaign? I loved that. That was so fun. We actually took so much much food to the uh, food bank, they actually were angry at us. It was fun. Just get out of here. We can't handle this. As you remember, who came on Easter, we gave $3,800 to LifeWater on top of the 10%. So I'm proud of this church. And it isn't just like cutting checks. I'm going to give you three examples of things we have done as a church just that makes me so proud. There's a kid in our junior high program who is sort of like the kid in the intro video. He's struggling. And what we have committed to do, one elder in this church has committed to just meet with that kid every week and just take him on as a project. I'm so proud of the fact that uh, the CHP officer that was killed in this tragic accident, it was a terrible thing that we witnessed on Friday, the memorial that Arnold Schwarzenegger came to. Our deacons fund actually helped the family, supported the family, and we provided food for that memorial service. Two weeks ago on Wednesday night, there was a guy who was in this church. I'd never seen him before, this six-foot-five cowboy. You never forget a six-foot-five cowboy. 
he had a toothache, a terrible, terrible toothache. He raised his hand to ask for help for that toothache. In the last couple of weeks, we've connected him with a dentist in this church, and we have provided him free dental care. So this is a church that gets it. So I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to give you two ideas that might help you continue to do that. Because when people ask about what this church is about, I think you could do a whole lot worse than to say, we care for the brokenhearted and we defend the weak. That's what our church is about. Heard about, so first thing I want to talk to you about today is when you help others, you are actually helping yourself. When you help others, you help yourself. I heard about this kid who was out uh, trying to ring a doorbell, this huge, huge door, and this pastor was walking by, and he sees this kid trying to ring this doorbell, just, and it's way, way up in the door because it's a huge door. So the pastor sees the kid, and the kid kind of looks like he might be homeless or something, and so he says to the kid, well, can I help you? And the kid says, yeah, I just need to ring this doorbell. So the pastor lifted the kid up to the doorbell, and the kid hit it like seven times and stood back down again, and the pastor said, well, now what? Now, said the kid, we run. So, yeah. So, here's the thing. Sometimes when you help people, you're going to get burned. Sometimes. You're going to get, that's part of the deal. Part of the deal. Sometimes when you help some kid ring a doorbell, you're going to get burned. But 99% of the time, when we help others, we actually help ourselves. We help ourselves. I think sometimes we think when Jesus says, help the least of these, when he says, take care of the poor and the widows, when he says, defend the weak, he's doing, he's saying that because he can't do it himself. Don't we think that sometimes? We think, well, God needs us. Without us, God would be in real trouble. No. We believe in a God who is all powerful and who allows us to be a part of the process of helping others. Now, this raises the whole question of evil, which we can't really address today, but I encourage you to go to the Truth Project to think about these things. How does God allow for evil things to happen? How does he allow for poverty to happen? We can't really explain that. But what we can say is God allows us to be a part of it in part because of us. He wants you to help you. And I can give you three big reasons why helping others helps you. Number one, they have found scientifically doctors have found that actually it increases your life to help others. Case Western did a study, this uh, wonderful university, they did a study called the Science of Good Deeds. They found that people who volunteered, 36% of those had a major illness, but people who didn't volunteer, 52% had a major illness. So they found that people who volunteered actually lived longer than those who didn't. Frequent volunteers had 44% reduction in early death. So we know that it actually is good for you physically. It's good for our country. On this 4th of July, it's good to think about things that are good for our country. In 2003, one of the worst tsunamis that ever hit an island or a country hit the country of Indonesia. You remember that? It just wiped this country out. Now, you know that Indonesia is 90% Muslim. And a lot of those people do not like us at all. And we've been trying to fight this whole tide against the United States for a long time. And there are a lot of ways to do it. But I'll tell you what happened. When that, when that tsunami hit, we gave aid to, to a country that didn't really like us. We dug down deep and we did that. Now, in 2003, 15% of Indonesians did not like the United States. 
In 2004, after the aid, they did a survey and they found that 44% of Indonesians actually had a favorable view of the United States. It helps us practically, but it also helps your soul. And that's the most important thing. I have some dear friends of mine who work for the state and they are just perplexed about the recent cuts and how they've been given minimum wage, $8 an hour. And it's actually going to cost them more to go to work now than actually to stay at home. But they've decided that through this tough time, they are going to encourage their fellow workers through this tough time. That's going to be their mission project. I heard about a couple who, this emblemizes how God helps us when we help others. They're from Kentucky. They had two kids, 13 and 18. These two kids were out driving, and and what happened is every parent's nightmare. Their car hit a pole, and both of the kids were killed instantly. And these, these parents went into this deep, deep, dark hole of depression. And Rosemary, the mother, said, the only thing that helped me was my faith. And she said it began at the funeral when they had 33 gun, 33 gun salute. The boys were in ROTC. She thought 33. Jesus died at 33. And then... She started to think about ways she could help other parents who have lost kids. So her project is this. It's called Fellow Travelers. Every day she looks in the newspaper, and every day she checks the internet for other parents who have lost kids. And she writes them letters, and she calls them, and she sends them a care package, and she sends a maid, and she said, it is through helping others that I am actually helping my soul. So as you are struggling today, if you are struggling, my best medicine for you is to reach out and help others. But the second thing is this. You will never be able to help anyone as much as Jesus has helped you. You never will. And the Christian word we have for this is gratitude. When you have gratitude about your life, it just changes the way you live your life. Favorite story about gratitude is the story of two soldiers. One who is a decorated army general named General Charles Krulak. And another man who is no longer alive. The general was not a Christ follower, but now is. But he used to make fun of Christ followers, particularly one young combatant by the name of John Listerman. I mean, he was like pie-in-the-sky Christian. Everyone just thought he was so great, and Charles did not like that. So the two of them were in Camp Pendleton in 1965, training down there, and then they're sent off to Vietnam. Charles Kulak's career went on and on, and he's still around today. John Listerman, this Christ follower... His career lasted one day, and then he died. The story is that he went out of the helicopter chopper, and he went into the field, and instantly he was cut down by a bullet. So Charles scooted on over to John, and he said he wanted to just find out if this soldier was okay. As soon as he got over to John, John said, Chuck, how you doing? I'm fine, said Chuck, but I need to find out how you are. Oh, I'm fine. How are my men? said John. Oh, they're fine. The question is, John, are you okay? And John said this, I am so grateful. I am so grateful for God. I am so grateful for my country. I am so grateful for my men. I just am grateful. And with that, he died. Gratitude will change the way you live your life, and it will change the way you die. And I'll tell you, you may not know it, But way back when you were having marital issues, it was Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who was helping you out. 
And you may not know it, but back when your kids were driving you nuts and they were getting picked on by bullies in the schoolyard, it was Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, who was helping them out. You may not know it right now, you may not have thought of it, but when you were dealing with that addiction, it was Jesus Christ who helped you over that thing. And you, you may not have thought about it, but that time that you were sick with that terminal illness, it was Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit who helped you out of that. And you and I will go through a whole lot of other things in this life and the life to come. We will. But Jesus will be there as well. So there's nothing you and I can do for other people that will come anywhere close to what Jesus has done for us and will continue to do. So let's keep being a great church and making that the main thing about what we do. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have given us more than we can give you. This 4th of July, we thank you for our country. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to make you a very center of helping others. We thank you that you have let us help the needy and anyone who is in need around us. We help, ask that you would help us to continue to help them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.